0: journey of faith there's a reason for it i want us to turn if we can either in our bibles or you can follow with me in the handout in john 4 verse 43 Um, i'm going to read through a few verses here give us a bit of a geographical context at the end of the two days jesus went on to galilee and he himself has said that a prophet is not honored in his own hometown which is where he grew up in nazareth of galilee yet even having said that when the galilee when he when he came to the galilee the, the galileans welcomed him for they had been in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration and had seen everything he did there so uh, the two days were referring to the two day two days after Jesus has spent um, in samaria now i want to i want to give everyone a a picture i you know some of us may have familiarity when you read the bible especially the gospels about where different things are located but every now and then it's just really good for us this is in the news today all the time anyway you know if you go straight up north you know you'll you'll move through Lebanon and in right into into, into Syria Damascus is in the news we talk about we go east you know you're right into the whole you know you're getting into the whole area of the world that's just filled with tension Iran and Iraq as you head east as well and the Jordan of course and then you're you're talking about Egypt to the south and this is a region that is very much in the, in the news. But in Jesus' day, there were you'll notice certain things are described, Judea, Samaria, and Galilee. You can see how they sort of go from the south all the way to the north. Judea was the, the area where Jerusalem was located in. It was the preeminent place of Israel at the time. Jerusalem, the great city, the city of David, the city of God, still a city of amazing controversy. And um, yet there's a majesticness to it. We know that Jesus had gone after his, after his emerging into a public ministry at the age of 30. He had left the Galilee with his disciples and gone down to Jerusalem in the south to celebrate Passover with many people who were coming from all over the world. People had come, were coming from Galilee, people were coming from other parts of the, of the Near East as well, and even as far into Europe as, just coming uh, to celebrate this great Jewish day and feast time in Jerusalem because it was a time to commemorate when they had been delivered um, out of Egyptian bondage, and it was the celebration of a lamb, and that, of course, anticipates Jesus so, you know, poignantly as well. And yet, Jesus comes to Jerusalem. He, if I can put it this way, he makes this amazing splash, uh, and it wasn't his intention, but he, he instantaneously creates a stir. Everybody is talking about Jesus. He's Healing. He's teaching things. He's giving different perspectives on the history of God, and people are compelled by him. It would not be a small thing to suggest that Jesus, at this time, he comes to Jerusalem. But by the time he leaves, he is being celebrated. The news even spreads back home to Galilee in the north. Remember where he had where he had grown up in obscurity, and when he comes back this time. Even though he says it's typical for a prophet not to have honor in his own land, the fact of the matter is when he comes back, everybody wants to be around him. He's very much the one that they want to be around. They want to see if he'll do some things. They've been talking about his power, his teachings. It's just there's a buzz. That's the the setup for what we're about to see because we're told that as he traveled, this is in verse 48, as he traveled through Galilee, he came to Cana. Now, Cana, I want to put the map back up real quick. We, we noted where Cana is, and also in relation to Capernaum. You see that at the top, near the Sea of Galilee. Cana, of course, is where the first miracle takes place—Jesus turning the water into wine. But there was—we're told here—it says there was a government official in nearby Capernaum whose son was very sick. Now we're, we're told a couple of things there. One, Capernaum is about mm, 25 miles by foot or and donkey, right? So you, it's a distance of about 25 miles. And it was not an easy journey. Uh, it was, it's not that simple to go. It was a significant amount of space in a day and age when people you know, had to get, go everywhere either by animal or by foot. So we're told though this man was not just any man. He was, as, we're, as we see here, a government official. Specifically, in the older version, he's called a nobleman. He worked for, how would we say this? A, a, a man who was called a king, but in reality was a vassal or a, a local regent Of Judea, His name was Herod. Herod had been allowed by Rome in a very fascinating type of political maneuvering to retain his power as long as he kept his end of the bargain, which was to keep peace on behalf of Rome. So there was this kind of understanding. Herod would get the title of a king, and along with that there were taxation privileges and such that he could work with Rome around. And then Rome, of course, let him have a limited degree of power under their larger auspice of control. I say that because anybody who worked for Herod, as this man clearly did as a king, a government official, would have been someone who was highly privileged. He would have been a person of means, someone who was accustomed to getting their way. We also know that he was probably going to be perceived as a man of prominence and, and power and authority. And because he worked for Herod, who was known to be, somewhat of a borderline tyrant and even at times, you know, (laughs) vicious. People would have been afraid of this man. So, So the picture we have is someone who was respected, admired, and feared because of who he worked for and was connected to. But we also are told here that he was a man who was very desperate. And the reason he was desperate is because his son was dying and that, that there was, seems to have been no help, it was beyond the point of help, but he had heard about Jesus, this man who in the tradition of the prophets of his people seemed to have the power of Yahweh or the power of God to heal. And so in his desperation, he made a decision. He was gonna make that 25 mile journey from Capernaum to Cana, and he was gonna beg Jesus, this, this teacher, to come to back with him and to heal his son. And that's the picture we, we get here. His son who was sick even unto death, we're told. Now again, I still, I think about this and I, I think some of us have felt this feeling. If you're, if, you've been a, if you're a parent or a grandparent or someone who has just some familiarity with what it feels like to have one of your children get put into a place of peril. It's hard to describe that feeling, but um, it's intense. When one of your children, you know, I have four, four children, but um, I still remember a day. It was about 23 years ago. Our firstborn son was only 13 months old. I had just started actually pastoring here in this role. I had been involved in the church for a number of years, but in this role. I, w- I remember because it, w- it still stands out vividly. And, well, and back that was the day and age, by the way, when they, they didn't have, believe it or not, 23 years ago, nobody had cell phones, in 23 years ago, there were no, there were no cell- the only, Maybe once in a while, there was, only, it was like a World War II walkie-talkie, it was like <laughs> really big. But it's hard to believe, you know, that, I mean, you think about how much we take for granted, and this is a little side, a little rabbit trail here, but you think about for a moment, the remarkable change that has occurred in our lives in just the last 20 years, stunning. I mean, we are so accessible. We're just always able to get a hold of people. In some ways, that's, that's, that's amazing, it's, it's, it's really good. And then in some ways, people would argue that that's, there's something unhealthy about being always accessible and always being connected. And I suppose we'll learn more about the effects of technology in, in the years ahead. Suffice to say, 23 years ago, I was in my office and I came back from lunch. It was just I was the only one here at the church at the time. Had a, and there was a pink. I remember it was a pink memo. It was taped onto the door. It's back behind where the balcony is right now. And it said, "You've got to hurry up." Well, it was from my wife. It was relayed to me from my wife. Hurry up, get to Kaiser as fast as you can. There's been a big emergency with with Caleb. That was her older son. That was her son's name. And he was the only child we had at the time. And I, it didn't say what it was. It just said, get here as fast as you can. There was no way to get a hold of anybody. So I just got in my, I remember I got in the, the little truck that I had and I, I drove to Kaiser. And I remember driving along the way and all the emotions I was feeling, like, what's wrong? I hope he's OK. I don't know what happened. But something it says something bad has happened. So I remember that numbness, that panic. And then, I, and then I'll never forget the image. When I walked through the doors, it was, it was like they were just wheeling. He was on a gurney. And this this 13-month-old boy. He's fl- he's splayed out. He's got wa- stuff hanging all over him. There are people just kind of panicking around and pushing him down the hallway. Well, it turns out he had this a very major seizure, and it was a serious one. Um, they didn't. They I, I asked what w- what was wrong. They said, well, we don't know. And then of course you I, I said was I mean, is he going to be, you know, how bad is it? Is he going to have permanent you know damage? I mean, what what's going on? And 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 they said we really don't know. We can't tell you that right now. He ended up being. There for three nights. Evidently, it was caused by uh, he had, at the printer's shop uh, on the bottom of the shop. There were there was chemicals below, but we we would, it wasn't known, and 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 it had induced this this traumatic seizure in a 13 month year old guy, and and he, the, my son ended up being okay. Thankfully, it was uh, but it was close call there, and uh, to now he's he's grown up. He's. You know, he's a strapping young man, he's, he's a good boy, <laughs> wherever he is, maybe he hears that. I love him dearly, thank the Lord for him, take nothing for granted, but I remember that moment. I remember how, how, listen, I remember how everything else in my world meant nothing to me in that moment. My son meant everything to me. Whatever issue I was dealing with, whatever struggles were on my mind, whatever responsibilities, duties, nothing. One thing, my son. That was the picture of this man had the title he had this didn't matter he had his son who was dying he needed Jesus he believed his one last hope was to get to Jesus and he and he made a decision look what it says here it says that as he traveled and and when he heard that Jesus had come from Judah to Galilee Judea to Galilee he went and he and he begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son and I you know if you've been here for a little while, that I I love for us to try to use our imagination, which I believe is a gift that God gives us, to to think about what we're reading. And in my mind's eye... I see this man, this very important man, pushing his way through the crowd. And I suppose that people, once they realized who he was, you could get the impression that the crowd that was gathered around Jesus began to make room, opened up. It literally opened up as he's walking through because they knew this was an important man. And what was he going to do to Jesus? Because clearly he had an intention to get to him. But when he gets to Jesus, who evidently was teaching at the time, what he does probably catches everybody off guard because a man of his stature would not have normally done what he does. And that is he throws himself at the feet of Jesus and, and it says that he starts to beg him. He starts to beg him, would you, would you come back with me to, to um, my son who is dying? I need you just to come with me, I beg of you, I plead with you, will you come, will you heal him? I believe you can heal him. And that, that's the picture that we're given of, of this man begging Jesus to just come and to make a 25 mile journey, which was no short, small thing, and in the end, this is, this is the picture. And, and, it may, and, you know, and I won't say this about Jesus. Jesus is not... I mean, people may have been thinking, oh, well, what's Jesus going to do? This is a great man, a powerful man. I'm going to tell you about it Jesus was not impressed by people's temporal power. That's pretty clear. You read the Gospels time and time again, not impressed. He says, he would say things like, that's good, but... Lay not up for yourselves treasure in heaven. I mean, on earth where moth and rust corrupt, and thieves can break in and steal it away. Or we might say the economy can turn a, turn a downturn, and everything you have gone. He Says lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Keep a God perspective always in your life, where nothing can steal that from you. In fact, he says the main thing in life is not to achieve. Although he was not anti-achievement, but clearly. He says, not how much power you temporarily accumulate or how much money you temporarily possess. He says, that a man's, a person's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that they possess. He says, the key is, are you rich towards God? Do you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength? And do you love people? He says, because this is a key. These are the things that mean the most to God. Now, I say that. He was not, listen, he was not overly impressed by people nor intimidated, but neither... Neither did he treat people of means poorly. Uh, once in a while he would ask them to do something, but most of the time Jesus clearly <laughs> treated them with respect and the same respect he gave to people who were on the other side of the social spectrum. You hear what I'm saying? He models for us to not be a respecter of people. to Treat the lowly and the powerful. Um, he, he had room for both of them. In fact, I'll just tell you this. Just leading up to the fourth chapter in this interaction here, there are two incidents that really stand out. If you just go to John 3, it, there's this moment where Jesus, remember I mentioned he was in Jerusalem? Well, in Jerusalem, there was a man who was very powerful, very rich, high intellectual man, a man of great pa- religious authority in Jerusalem who, who was so compelled by the words of Jesus and the sense in his own heart that he needed more from God, but he had to keep up an image, And it was important that he did not reveal to his peers that he had any interest in Jesus, lest he was diminished in their eyes. And so this man, whose name is Nicodemus, came to Jesus under the cloak of darkness and secretly asked for a meeting to ask him some questions. And when he began to ask him questions, Jesus didn't say, oh, get away from me. You know, you're, you, you, who do you, you're ashamed to meet with me in public, you know, and, and who do you think you are, you know? It's, no, what happens is Jesus has a conversation with him that's beautiful. And in fact, he ends up saying to him, he says, you know, Nicodemus, you know so much, but you know so little. And that's when the phrase comes, you must be born again. God wants to open your eyes to something totally new that you cannot see right now. He says, the spiritual awakening I'm talking about for you, my friend, is as real as the awakening that occurs when someone who is born comes out of the womb into a new world. And that, of course, is the conversation in John 3, when Jesus is in Jerusalem, just, just days before what we're witnessing right here, where, he's, where the conversation where Jesus utters what is probably the most well-known, most often quoted verse in the entire history of our world. It was in the course of this conversation with Nicodemus, this intellectual man of religious, of religious uh, pedigree where Jesus says this, for God so loved the world. My friend, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, die, but have the everlasting life of God. For God did not send his Son into this world. Do you understand what I'm saying? Into this world to condemn it. I have not come to condemn, uh, but that the world through him might be saved. It was, a, it was a, an amazing exchange. I say it only because you take that exchange, you go a few days further. Jesus is making his way into Samaria, where Jews and Samaritans had tremendous tension, ethnically, religiously. It was just they didn't get along. And the Samaritan, Jesus, meets with a woman in John 4 who is on the total other side of the social spectrum. And he begins to talk to her. This is a woman who had had a number of marriages. He says, and the man, and the man you're with now is not even your husband. And Jesus starts having this conversation. He crosses a lot of uh, uh, sort of uh, understood uh, s- social lines there that people didn't cross. And he, he ends up saying to her, you know what? You're looking for things You're looking for something, but you're looking for it in the wrong places. And the people you're looking for to satisfy what you're you're really yearning for, they can't do it. But I can tell you the one who can give you something, that if you'll take it and it's freely offered, it will change your life and satisfy that yearning in your heart that you're trying to fill in other ways, reckless ways. Can I give you some water that if you drink it, you'll never thirst again? She said, yes, sir. I would love that water. And they had this amazing conversation. My point is, Jesus treated people the same. He saw us all as lost people in need of God's love and God's saving touch. So when this man comes and says, Would you please come with me to save my son? You know what? we're shocked a little bit by what Jesus's response is because it seems so out of character. Look with me at it. Look what it says. He says he begs Jesus, "Will you come with me to heal my son?" And then Jesus answers it in a way that almost doesn't it catches us off guard because Jesus asked, "Will you never" and he he turns and he says this. He says, "Will you never believe? Will you never will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and and, and wonders?" And Again, I, I say, you notice that Jesus doesn't say, "I'm, I'm impressed." Of course, I will. What Jesus says is, a, is something that almost people would have, who were listening, would have been like, "What? What, what are you saying?" And, and certainly, the man to him, it made no sense. I mean, Jesus is basically saying he's talking to the crowd. You know what he's saying? He's saying, "Look, uh, <laughs> it was a bleak assessment." I might suggest here that was not just intended for him, but it was intended for all the people who were gathered around him. Because you've got to understand right now, there were crowds flocking around Jesus, and they were just waiting for him to do something powerful, a sign, a miracle. And so Jesus had a lot of following right now, but he knew it was about a mile wide and about an inch deep in real commitment. He knew that there was a very fickle crowd that was following him, because he was a celebrity who could perform. And so when the possibility comes of him performing, there was a buzz. And Jesus makes a statement. He goes, well, you, you, you follow me for the wrong reasons. Now, I'm, I'm the no, if I'm the government official, I'm going, I, I don't know why you're saying that or what you look, look at. I don't know. I don't, I, don't, I don't know I don't know. what that is. It's like the words of Jesus fall off of him like like water off of a window pane, a passing. Plan. It's like he's not even, he doesn't even hear it. Whatever those words mean, whatever they're for, I I don't know what you're trying to say. I'm going to ask you again, will you come with me to heal my son? Please come with me to heal my son who is dying. You are my only hope. That's, That's the passion. Then Jesus told him, and please understand, when he says this, it's almost like he's saying, I'm not going with you. But you need to go back home. Go back from where you came from. But then he says this, your son, now look at me, your son will live. There must have been something because it says that that about the way Jesus said it, the manner in which he said it, the, the eyes of Jesus perhaps, but something about what Jesus said awakened faith in this man. And it says that he turned around and he believed the word that Jesus spoke. And he turned around, and he began to make his way, that 25-mile journey back home by faith in that word that Jesus gave. It was, it's powerful and profound. Look what, happens, look what happens next. It says that while the man was on his way, that some of his servants met him with the news that his son, you're not going to believe it, your son is alive, he's well. And, and he asked them, well, when did, the boy, when, did he be, when did he begin to get better? When did it happen? And they said, you, you, well, it was yesterday. It was around, it was around 1 o'clock. Yeah, it was probably around one, when that fe- the fever that he had, it just, it just disappeared. And then the father realized that that was the very time that Jesus had told him, your son will live. And then he, look at this phrase, and he and his entire household believed in Jesus. And this was the second miraculous sign that Jesus did in Galilee after coming from Judea. The entire household believes. Now, uh, in a few minutes that I have left, there is so much here for us, you guys. Let me just, can I just put this out there and say this? And it's just a reminder for all of us when we're going through things that are really making us afraid or we're concerned about or anxious about or feel defeated by. Let me suggest this. Notice how desperation is often what fuels our breakthroughs. Often it's in the painful places in life, the sorrowful places in life, the despairing, the Wounded places, the rejected places where we are broken of our pride. And sometimes even our self-confidence gets shaken. In those places, I'm going I'm to say it, that if our desperation and brokenness brings us to Christ, then it can be one of the most important times of our life. That sometimes what seems awful can actually be a gift because it's a gift that reorders who we are. And draws us closer to God. How many happy stories in Christ began with a wound? How many people made their way to Jesus because something deeply hurt them and they needed an answer or a touch? Many of us, that is our story. Some of us, we come to the Lord we come to the Lord because maybe and maybe this is happening right now Maybe some of us are feeling beaten down by something unfair or if I'm going to say two things here two categories something unfair or something Unrelenting and it could be both But I think of something unfair something's happening. We can't control it But we're having to deal with it. It could be a health issue could be a decision of another person It could be something that's happening in the in the on our job, but it's unfair but we have to deal with it. Then there are other things that happen in life that I call, them. these are, they're unrelenting. It's like I'm continually struggling. I talk to people, I've had it in my own heart too. It's like, Lord, I just don't have to keep dealing with, when do I get better from this? How do I get out of this? Why do I keep falling back into this? Where does this come from? What, what happens when we're, we're, we're going through a, a, a trial, a temptation, or a way of being that is less than what we believe we should be? We find ourselves dropping back into patterns that we don't even want to do anymore. They're unhealthy. They're 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 almost they almost they almost feel like we're even though we may we we may do them we don't even want to do them. It's like they almost feel like we're bound to them. Uh, I mean, some people say, you know, what it's just kind of like this is what my family's done, and they did it and they did it and they did it, and I'm doing it too. And I say, you know what? God is the God of new beginnings. He, he can break things that are passed down from one generation to the next and he can make something new. It's what he does. All things can be made new in Christ Jesus. And I want to suggest that many times when we feel beaten down by something, some besetting thing, that if we can find our way to Jesus, listen to me, he can bring good from every bad thing. He can bring good from everything, every struggle. And it it leads me to the second piece here, which is this, not only can he bring good, but when we sincerely present ourselves to him, number two, when we sincerely present ourselves to him, what we will find is that he will create, listen loved ones, unique opportunities, growth opportunities for us to advance in faith. And I say unique because he doesn't treat everyone the same. Every one of us is different. We're different dispositionally. We're different uh, experientially. We were shaped with different um, personalities and experiences. And so in a way, yes, God loves us all the same, and yet he loves us all differently. It's like me. I love all my my wife and I. We have four children. I love them all the same. But I love them all different because they're different. And there's something there in that, that looks like God when it's working at its best. Because we're all unique. Everyone, some, need, some of us need to be pushed. Some of us need to be encouraged. Some of us need to be reminded of things more firmly. Others of us do better. I'm just saying is that the Lord has a unique way in which he tries to call things out of us. And when we're sincere and we come to him, like this noble, this, this man, this, this official came to Jesus and he said, come with me and heal my son. Jesus said, go home and your son will be healed. Come with me and heal my son. You go home and your son will be healed. What was he, in other words, Jesus creates a faith opportunity for this man to push beyond the belief that Jesus might be able to perform a miracle if he came with him to a willingness, listen, to believe his words. That's a deeper level. That's a deeper level. One can be borderline, borderline superstition, but the other one is you believe my words and your son is alive. And I'm going to say he will work to grow us beyond where we are, listen to me, to a deeper understanding of who he is. He will work in our lives, if we're sincere, to move us beyond where we are to a deeper understanding of, of who he is. This man believed what he said, and he started home. What does faith do? Faith acts. And that leads me to this final piece, which is this, that there are going to be times when the Lord is going to require, and maybe this is one of those times right now in our life, where the Lord is going to require us to make a faith journey. The case of this man, it was a journey home for 25 miles, and along the way his plea was answered. Loved ones, there are going to be times in our lives when you and I, as those who are seeking to move forward in life are going to to have to make a a journey of faith down a path called trust. (laughs) Journey of faith down a path called trust. And and along the way, our perspective of who we are is gonna change and our understanding of who God is is gonna be changed. It's gonna grow. And I was thinking about it. A journey represents what? What does a journey represent? It represents something of distance. Just like, and by the way, this miracle, it was a miracle that when Jesus did it, it transcended space and time. It was his word that brought it into being. And by the way, it also tells us we're told that the entire household believed. Think about this for a moment. If we can think about a journey as having distance, then that speaks to me of a seasonal span in life. Just stay with me on this point. There are seasons in life where God's trying to grow us and there are certain times in our lives where it's more profoundly clear than others, but we're in a season, there's a span, there's a span, there's a distance, there's a length of of a a journey that we're supposed to make and in the process of, of doing it, we're gonna change. The person we were going in is not going to be the same person coming out. Now I'm getting near to where I've been able to live in this world for almost five decades. Seen some spans come and go. Come to different realizations about the nature of life. You start to ask questions differently as you move forward in life. But there are certain seasons where you begin to explore what it means to trust God and what it means to listen to his voice when he's trying to grow us into something new or trying to take something out that's really killing us. Why? Why does he work with us? I suspect a lot of times it's not just connected to us, listen, it's connected to the people we love. This man, his interaction with Jesus not only changed him, it changed his son, and what we are told is it affected the entire household. It's the, by the way, it is the first time it is ever mentioned in the New Testament that an entire household comes to faith in Jesus. This is it, the first time, the first mention. Why? Is, why how did it happen? It happened because a man responded. And I can't help but think about the people who we love, the people who we're going to some point in life meet, the people who are not even yet born. And I keep keep saying this, because a life that is being lived for Jesus, a walk of faith, a journey of faith, a willingness to confront something and move through something and trust God through something, wrestle through something, grow through something, allow him to get us through something into a better place than where we were when we began, what that does is not only changes us, it affects other people. And it changes lives. And sometimes we will never live to see the positive effect and effect of what God is doing in us in this season of our life as we seek to submit to his word and obey him in faith and trust and watch him do things in our lives, moving things out, moving things in. But it's always about life. As we watch it happen, we cannot sometimes comprehend nor see it. But there are people who are going to be affected by that life that is being lived for Jesus that li- just like they were all affected an entire household was affected because of one man's willingness to believe his word may we be a people who acquaint ourselves with his words and welcome him into our lives and live courageously and wrestle through things, fight through things, work through things. I talk about accountability. I talk about the value of community. I talk about the value of really going after our life with God, not, not just from a distance, but get close to it. It's worth it. It's worth it. We don't know how many days we're gonna have in this world to live. Life fragile and it's a gift. It can come and go fast. Nothing's promised, but what we do know is between now and then, we have a life that we get to choose to live. We can live it in a way that's going to produce growth and life in other people and in our own hearts as well. That's how we want to live, as a free people in God, growing in love with Him, grateful, humble, watching Him move. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You. You know, as we come to the close here, Lord, as we prepare to close the service out, we've got our song that we're going to share, which just really does remind us of the value of beginning from square one. first step but I ask you to bless bless us Lord because you know why I know a lot of us sometimes we we struggle with whether or not it's worth even confronting something um, facing something taking something to you but I know you want to do things inside of our lives I know you want to grow us and help us and and uh, you want to you want to establish things in us Lord I pray that you would increase our faith uh, remind us how much we are loved I pray that we would not discount the effect that we have on people, generationally even, friends, coworkers. Help us to seek to be lights for you. Get better, grow better. I want to ask you to bless our, our closing minutes. I thank you, great healer, keep healing. Life giver, keep giving life. I pray that you bless this closing minute, bless our time of giving, bless this song bless this word we've shared. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.